When both Ted Uncle and Var gets it wrong, it's That's So MLS. <laughs> with myself, Nick Thornton. With me, as always, is Andrew Bates. Andrew, how are you? I'm pretty good. That was a pretty all-time bad one that they did. Like, even by our standards, even by our pretty low MLS standards for Var and mixing things up, just wow. Just it's, wow. It's It's been a really interesting week for that because I feel like it's... We have uh, sort of the the hat trick of um, of that happening, two coach fires, uh, and the uh, gam for tam trade, mm-hmm. all in this all in this week cycle. So I feel like this is a week in which plus an, M- has... an a within MLS loan as well. Oh what? Which I, we I, rarely I didn't see. That. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it well, was uh, I... one for the ages, but. Some interesting results. We were, I think we found out a little bit about some teams. Um, we confirmed some things about some teams that we already knew about. And then there were some results where you honestly just kind of had to shrug your shoulders and go, a game of soccer was played. And <laughs> yeah, that's that. Uh, that sounds about right. Do you want to start with that DC game? Because I feel like that is the number one thing that everyone was talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Um the game, of course, we're referring to about the incident with Ted Uncle um, in this VAR call actually happens really early into the match. I think it's only it, it's under 20 minutes into it where um, Ted Uncle basically just gets caught up in the play. And then uh, Santos goes on to score a goal. And then after that, they decide to VAR it. And they decide that they're giving Will, they're calling the foul on Will Trap and calling off the goal, because play should have been stopped at that point. Although, every angle clearly shows Ted Uncle just getting caught up in the two players and essentially fouling them both. That's one thing I didn't understand. Okay, so, um... I had heard that Uncle called the foul at first, but it looked when I saw the highlights like there was no call until VAR decided to, to bring it up. That was my read of the situation as well. I don't know, like, there, I don't think there was a whistle on that foul. He essentially, essentially just allowed play to continue. The confusing thing for me is how does a referee see that as a clear and obvious error? And then upon review, Ted Uncle decides that what he's looking at is not him fouling a player or causing mayhem, but a foul from Will Trapp. There's basically no way to, to, to think about it because essentially um, the the DC player gets gets caught Acosta gets caught up underneath him in like uh, essentially where Uncle's legs are cuts off his legs. Now the only possible way that you could think that contact was even a small amount achieved is if maybe Will Trapp's foot stepped on the outside ridge ridge of Acosta's toes. But Acosta's falling over already by that point. Yeah, and for me, it still it still wouldn't have been a foul, and it still wouldn't have been a clear and obvious error. Which then, uh, pro referees, this or I guess yesterday, said that uh, that is the case, and that the goal should have stood, and it's not a foul. So two mistakes were made. First of all, um, from the VAR, and then from Ted Uncle as well. So it's interesting because in their wording, they say that. Um, basically that they look at things like these to determine um, match placements for referees. They don't say any action will necessarily be taken, but to me it was the vague language that maybe suggests that uh, Ted Uncle won't be refereeing for, I don't know, the foreseeable future. I mean, I think people can probably guess my opinion. I can probably guess yours. But at the very least... Uh, you know, there needs to be some kind of uh, measure to address this. Yeah. So, One thing uh, that, that... Go ahead. If I can talk briefly to the idea of that measure. One thing that has long really bothered me about VAR is the idea that, um, I guess because of the length of the time on the field, if you have VARed something, mm-hmm. then that play is not up for disco review. You know what I mean? Like, 
Like they say, okay, well, we VAR'd it, and now we're never looking at it again. Yeah. Which to me, the whole point of VAR is supposed to be bringing more justice into the game, but it's still human error. It was human error. The it was human error before VAR because mm. you were all putting it on one person, and now it's still human error, but you're sprinkling it over yeah. uh, over more people. I don't think it's double jeopardy to have Disco be able to look at stuff like this because in you could maybe I don't know if he's trying to 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 put um, focus away from himself in in awarding the foul, or if he's just trying to create his own kind of justice. Mm-hmm. You know, if thinking, oh well, there, I can't I can't stop that, so so have this even up foul. But yeah. there's no way that the game should end if everybody involved knows the wrong call was made. Mm-hmm. Um. And I don't. There was no yellow, but it's like it feels so strange and, and powerless that nobody was able to do anything about this. I also enjoyed. I like VAR, and I do. I think yeah. that, it, that adding justice to the game is great. But I remember I sent you that article from the Washington Post mm-hmm. that also said you called out the um, the foul in the DC Sporting Kansas City game where the debuting player uh, got his goal, and then they ruled that like. Maybe a defender had his arm on the goalie's arm. Right, yeah, yeah. The call from Jai Marufo that it. And the specific thing that they called out in that case, they wouldn't, unlike here, they didn't, um, they didn't rule one way or the other that the foul was wrong, but they said that VAR should have kept its powder dry, which is also the case here. They were like, both plays never should have been VARed. The Columbus play, uh, if VARed, should never have been called the way it was. Mm-hmm. One, it, it just seems like it, there's still some uncertainty from a few referees about when exactly they should be using it and mm-hmm. are using it rather, like they're sort of relying on it rather than looking to make the right call on the field. Um, and, and you can see where when that happens, then it becomes this slippery slope thing, that this is not meant to be used at every opportunity you're ultimately you need your official on the pitch to be making uh good judgment mm-hmm. and and really only use far for things that he might have missed so i mean for me the rest of this match the result is kind of like a you know whatever like a, there's a, a handball call that goes against columbus that i i think was correct and they var that one as well um and give the PK. But I don't know that this match really tells us all that much about either side, especially given the um, the response from pro referees. I mean, as much as I can say about it is good of DC to keep their heads in the game and go ahead and take three points from it. Um, and DC sort of got theirs back later on in the week when <laughs> Far worked for them. So I agree with, um, or, or against them rather, that Ben Olsen's comment that, uh, you know, all of this stuff tends to even out. I think I agree in principle, but ultimately we're trying to get rid of the mistakes, not have them have mistakes cancel each other out over the course of the season. That's a great point. You know, like that's the, that, the things evening out is, is why this is all not supposed to be going this way anyways. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cause then uh, it, are we going to like, say, are we going to var the var now? Right, and I mean, I mean, I'm not against it. Uh, the two <laughs> things that I would say, the two things that I would say uh, also about this, the the teachable lessons, um, as as hard as much as you're absolutely right, the the control of the game is gone. Um, there's no way to sort of rule. Uh, there's no way to to get a, a huge amount of teach, uh, teachings out of it. Except, I would say that this foul. This VAR situation happens at 25 minutes, and DZ scores two minutes later. Mm-hmm. Um, you you have to be able, you have to think that they got shaken up, and regardless of what the result is, is this going to happen? You have to be able to keep your heads in those situations. Yeah, hundred um, percent. And the rest of the game, the rest of the game, you can't say it's it's hard to judge. Well, what would have happened if they had scored that goal or not? What would have happened if they hadn't uh, conceded to DC or not? It's yeah. hard to make a, a, a judgment on the whole game from Columbus, but you have to think that your mindset coming off of a play like that is to be as locked in as possible because that could happen. The second thing I want to say is, at the very end, a pretty simple-looking ball 
is same team from Columbus, a high ball, but Bill Hamid just can't quite get there and it comes through his hands. Mm-hmm. I feel like we see that play so many times a week, and that's why you've got to keep doing it because one out of every 100 times, <laughs> the goalkeeper is going to drop the ball. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, 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 yeah, you got to keep knocking out the door. Um, and I think that was the right idea from Columbus. And then we saw that pay off for them uh, elsewhere. Um, another silly game where there was <laughs> some VAR, some PK calls, uh, and also really shows the proof of why you have to just keep trying until the very end was Vancouver versus Colorado. Yeah, wow. Now, for both teams going into this, they must have both thought, okay, guys, for Colorado, this was their their game to win. Um, they had sacked their coach earlier in the week. Hudson is out. Connor Casey is the interim manager. At home, their opportunity to finally get some much-needed points. And for Vancouver, needing to really get back up and running after a good result against LAFC, really starting mm. to stutter again and us really only seeing glimpses. How do you even describe this game? Because <laughs> we could just talk about this game for the rest of the show. But, like, how do you summarize it for somebody that didn't see this match? Vancouver here, I think it's it's two separate two separate parts of the, the, the game are mm. not coming together. Vancouver is was it's it's Colorado's defense it's Vancouver's defense. Mm. I want to give I want to give Vancouver more credit that they are able to um benefit from a Colorado defense that is easy to prize open. Which yeah. I mean you have to also give the credit for for having done it, you know. Sure. Lost with that first with that first goal lost sends a, a a ball what seems to be 50 yards that's not sure. Yeah. Like he sends a ball through the entire uh through the entire area, the penalty area to Montero, and he can get them in. Uh, Venuto scores off of a cross for that second goal, um, and and these players are good, and they're able to um, to get through the Colorado defense, which really kind of seemed like a shambles. However, on the other half, Vancouver's defense also a shambles and also kind of like very sloppy. Yeah, I mean, this one was disappointing because two nil up. And of course, the old adage goes, 2-0 is the, the hardest lead to protect. Um, but this one is just one that Vancouver gifts back to their opponent. And despite the end result here for Vancouver, it's still really, really concerning to me that this kind of thing continues to happen, where uh, like Vancouver just tries so hard to lose a game sometimes. <laughs> now, <laughs> luckily for us, they tried harder to win it in the end than they tried to lose it. But... Yeah. A game that could have easily been put away all of a sudden has to come down to the dying moments to come up and rely on a player to make a huge play just from really letting a Colorado side that really didn't have many good chances, good looks at goal outside of the two penalty kicks allows them back into the game. Um, the first foul is Montero challenging a ball that it's not dangerous at all. There's no need to go sliding in on a player in the box like that. So it's a definite penalty kick. The second one, Levi's goes through kind of wow. two players. I, I, there was talk online that some people didn't think this was a PK. I thought it was a penalty kick right away. And when they reviewed it, I thought even more so. Did you, what was your sense of it? The only thing that you, the, the only sort of category that you could excuse this away for is um, people mess around on on set pieces all the time. Yeah, um, but he's but he's clearly got his arms up and he's clearly pushing. Yeah, um, well, and he, he takes out the player before he even has a chance to jump, which for me is like, well, that's how can that not be? That's the very definition mm-hmm. of denying a goal scoring opportunity. Yeah, I also give a lot of credit with those two uh, penalty kicks, both taken by uh, Kai Kamara, and he does not celebrate either of them. He just picks it up and starts on it. I know that name from somewhere. Kai Kamara. Where have I seen him before? Yeah, uh, two great penalties from him. I will also say, you know, Max Cripo has been such a great goalkeeper, and I don't want to slag him off at all, but every goalkeeper has his Achilles heel, and I think we yeah. found Cripo's and its penalties because he just cannot resist moving um, and is just not able to stay composed on the line. And Kamara, oh, uh, granted, Kamara is a, a very experienced, pe- experienced penalty taker, 
but he just waits for Cropo to decide which way he's going to go and then shoots the opposite way. And for Cropo, if he's going to be stopping penalties, let's assume he'll face more this season. Uh, he needs to be able to stand up on his line and, and wait for the striker to commit and not go too soon. So you're absolutely right that Vancouver handed Colorado back the game with these two penalty kicks. But luckily, Colorado handed the game right back to Vancouver <laughs> with this strange, with this uh, another all-time uh, MLS operation. Where, um, <laughs> I guess, so he starts to take down Axel. He goes down and tangled Axel Soberg and kind of ends up, I think, stepping on top of him or over top of him. Like, like Soberg goes down first and he goes down on top and... It looks like, I don't know if he's feeling apologetic or if he's being facetious to save face because he doesn't want to get sent off or whatever. But he uh, is trying to, as tradition would have it, right, help the other player off the pitch, right? That's it's always, it's Henry like, versus Rubio in that, that one. Oh, I thought it was so, I thought it was Axel. No, no, no. It was uh, um, Rubio, Diego Rubio. So he's trying to, so he's trying to, uh, trying to talk, trying to get his, his hand on the downed player and, he slaps it away once, so Henry goes in for another attempt, and he slaps it away. He gets up on his own on his own power. He's not going to accept Henry's help, and Henry tries to <laughs> oh, tap do it his one, more, one more time, and he just wings back, gets him with the knuckles on the edge of the chin. Uh, Henry is now mad. Kai Kamara swoops in to 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 tell his former to tell his former teammate. This is not the time. Yeah. Uh, and, and immediately everyone has, this is one thing that at least we can, we can agree on, right? If, in terms of, of some of the, the sub, as much as some of the, the face sent off red cards haven't mm-hmm. always seemed the most reasonable. Mm-hmm. Everybody now knows that regardless of what the scenario was, that everybody knows there was contact between the hand and the face and everybody instantly knows he's off. And yeah, I feel like that. Like this is why this is where you have the teams move in, and they cut off anything because Kamara knows his player is off, and he doesn't want things to get any worse. Absolutely. Well, and it's. I mean, I think we can all also admit too that it was good of Henry to go over and immediately apologize that he in no way intended to stomp on Rubio, mm. but everything after that point is Henry trying to wind him up a bit. I think. There's a little bit of gamesmanship happening, especially after the second swat away when Henry goes over and is sort of tapping him on the shoulder. That's definitely some gamesmanship there. Now, that being said, Rubio's a very experienced player, and he just needs to keep his cool here because his team uh, has equalized. Rubio's a very dangerous and important attacking piece for Colorado and needlessly gets himself sent off. And then everything starts to shift back in Vancouver's favor after this. So, um, yeah, just a, a totally unnecessary thing um, to, for Colorado to pull themselves out of it. And you, and you have to, I mean, I get the frustration. I really do. Um, but you have to think that at this point in the season, there needs to be uh, cooler heads and an ability for the players, especially the experienced players, to be able to keep themselves on the pitch for an entire game, especially when you haven't won one yet. <laughs> yep. Um, last gets, uh, last gets a goal, but it's called off in, uh, Andy Rose with, or no, I'm going to have the right name. Yeah, of yeah. Rose. Yes. Andy Rose, who I don't think is somebody that we give enough credit for, for, for having, you know, skill moves or, or particularly great or having these great reflexes are really marvelous. First touch. This is um, in the 87 minute. Yeah, this is such a great goal and a, a well-deserved thing. This is a little bit of soccer karma, I feel. Um, Andy Rose coming back from injury after I think he had a, a fractured jaw and something with his nose, so he's been out for a while. Um, and he's the player that's actually offside on Lass's goal, and mm. which would have been the game-winning goal. And this was really good of Rose just to see the opportunity to go. Okay, that was my bad. I messed up the opportunity to win it. There's a little bit of a spill in the box, and he he makes no mistake to finish it. But my goodness, Ugh. <laughs> I am so like 
I get that we're in a different era of Vancouver Whitecaps, and I really do see a difference, but my God, from game to game, it really does feel like watching the Whitecaps in 2011. Does it not? Like, just un- until the 89th minute, you have no idea what's going to happen. And, you know, we we go up to, and then we give it away. It just, it all feels very familiar to me. It's just not, it's just not in any way, like, like based on, um, like, positive play. <laughs> Yeah. Which is unfortunate. Like, I'm not trying to give no credit to the team for having got the, what is now the second win of this, of, of the, of the year. It's a great um, road win for sure. But, but it's just like, it's the two, this is kind of maybe that point to the, to the Bob Bradley, you know, teams trying to fight it out is that when you get a, a three, two, mm-hmm. sometimes it's not because of like the like great attacking skill. It's because everything broke down. Like three, two is almost worse than a zero, zero sometimes. In terms of quality of play. Yeah, this the same game should have finished 5-0 for Vancouver. Easily. And, and <laughs> you know, until they can... I mean, I think both of us might have, might have said at some point during this game, like, this is an absolute must-win for Vancouver. Because if we can't beat a wounded Colorado with 10 men, like, yeah. what hope do we have? And it almost didn't happen. Now, it did, so we should be more positive. <laughs> But, you know, I just, I I need to see, you know, I guess you can say ultimately things are working. But when we look at some of the other results in the West and how other teams are looking, and especially those that are starting to finally come into their own, um, Vancouver really needs to just put away these mistakes and move on. Because um, especially now with the transfer window closed and them not making any moves, you know, they've got a while to wait and they need to and they're going to be missing some players through Gold Cup action. They need to get these mistakes uh, squirreled away. It's just not the point in the season to be doing this kind of stuff. All the teams, the four teams at the bottom, I feel like all of the results um, were very important to like determining the yeah the, the eventual futures of all of them. And, and this was no exception. Um, I, it's great that they did do it, I think. Now, now the next step up is kind of Portland to see to see what happens with that. Yeah. Um. I was talking about this this scoreless draw, and one that I thought was a particularly well, a really well put together scoreless draw was LAFC Chicago, uh, a game that seemed like it had eighteen thousand. It LA had twenty two shots, five shots on target. Yeah. The game, two teams. Two teams combined for 31 shots, uh, and six of them hit the goal, uh, and, and, and none of them were goal, and none of them were goals. The L- LA had 88% passing accuracy and 63% possession, and yet, nothing happened. And yet, but nothing... also a lot of things happened. Sure, no, and, and that's the thing. This was actually, a, I think, a, a pretty good game, and especially, the main highlight for me here is that Chicago is finally a team that can put together a side that can go out uh, and play, yes, a very defensive game, but a very organized game. And we haven't seen that in uh, like two and a half years or so. Yeah. They just eventually get pulled apart. And so to see them actually go the 90 minutes and put together a complete team performance, granted, one that is a bit of mm-hmm. backs to the wall and defending and blocks, but... How else are you supposed to play against LAFC at any point in the season? So that's a great point. They did exactly what they needed to do. Uh, Vancouver did the same thing, and the only difference was our game against them. We had one opportunity and took it. But yeah. I, I thought that Chicago applied good pressure when they had the chances. David Osted had a fantastic game. Um, yeah, made four or five really key saves that kept them in this one. So, and then when you look at Chicago's later result, you see. In the week, or was it earlier? I'm all messed up in terms of this. Was Saturday? This, this was, was Saturday. Yeah. So um, this We're, is building off of Chicago's result. Where are we in time? No. Yeah. Okay. I got it. <laughs> We're talking. <laughs> th- this one was Wednesday, and then the uh, no. This this was a Saturday. They go on. They play. They go on to. They go on to pace. They go on to just absolutely pace New England five nothing. Yes. Which. Um, come, probably comes as no surprise to anyone, but, uh, Chicago again, all of a sudden is, uh, the, 
I forget which player it was this week, but said, you know, we can beat anybody in MLS. And right now it certainly looks that way. Now, the fact that they crushed New England probably doesn't say too, too much. However, they took an opportunity to stretch the legs of some of their players and show that they have the ability to play that kind of game. So I, I think that they've got to be really happy heading into this week. Um, because who are they up against next? Or do they have a bye week? Oh, they're up against Minnesota. So again, yeah. another team that's in form. They've got two really nice results. They're climbing up the table. Chicago all of a sudden looks like a contender again. For uh, it was the uh, the last games for Brad Friedel um, in charge of New England yeah. as they lost six one to Philadelphia and then turned and then went right to Chicago and lost five nothing there. Um, the it's a it's a bittersweet moment when I look at my the the people I know on Twitter um, that are uh, New England fans. They just they. Brad Friedel is one of their favorite players of all time, and they didn't. He was nothing as a coach. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just it was a really disheartening week. You know, we New England has always been sort of they've gone from a dark horse to just kind of a black hole. Like there's just maybe Teal Bunbury touches the ball in a game. Diego Fugundes has a little look at goal every now and then, but other than that, there's just nothing to really. There's no bright spot to aim for, and that's the really concerning thing for me, even with Colorado in very much the same position. Looks, I mean, they can at least score goals, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> there, there at least seems to be some things moving in the right direction in Colorado, um, and I think they'll be able to, perhaps with a new coach and maybe a couple of acquisitions, make something out of their season. Um, but for New England, even... Brad Friedel's post-game response, I, I went to watch that because I was just like, what do you say after two results like that? And he was somewhat frank in terms of saying, you know, we're looking for ways to concede goals right now. But other than that, it just, I mean, he must have known the writing was on the wall, but just this lifeless kind of response of like, well, um, yeah, we went out there and just didn't look good and gave up a bunch of goals. And we're like, yeah, yeah, we know. Um... <laughs> Is there a play? We all watch that one. Yes. Are, yeah, like, are we going to get a clipboard or something out? Like, <laughs> it's just, I, I feel for the New England fans, and I, I don't know, short of a miracle, what, what the hope is right now for that team. Well, I would say that, that in, in not to over, uh, not to be over, you know, optimistic about it, because we've, we've had that issue um, before <laughs> with, with, with New England. I think the pieces are there offensively. They have yeah. nothing to worry about in terms of having players that, when they're playing well, well can sure. can really yeah. uh, can can make things happen. Because that's what happened. That's why we said they had such a, a you know a positive. They've got nothing going on defensively, and the the primary window just closed. So New England has got to get if they want anything for this season. Not that that'll probably it might be you know over and done with this season and they might look to, to maybe move some of those offensive guys for prospects or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but the, the they've got to get somebody in to be that head coach before the second transfer window opens on July 7th. Yeah. Which stays only open for a month. And if they want to get anything out of this year, um, they have to know what they're doing with that month heading into that month. Absolutely. Um, even if that's mostly building for next year, which I, I have to imagine at this point is really the only hope for them. <laughs> um, <laughs> dark days for them. Um, a team, Very sorry to all my pals up there. Yeah, I like I, I don't take any pleasure out of it. You know, sometimes it's nice to see teams get knocked off a pedestal, but with New England, it's just like watching the nerd get beat up again and again. And you're like, can you just stop it? <laughs> just leave him alone. <laughs> Give him back his lunch. Um, this was a, uh, a pretty, uh, a pretty comprehensive week for, um, oh, what you have Atlanta, Toronto, but was that this week? I don't, um, I hate weeks like this. I'm all over the place. <laughs> I don't know where oh, we are in on, time. Yeah. So we're lost in time here. Atlanta had a really, uh, 
Yeah, they had a um, they had a comp- they had two comprehensive matches. Yes, one of them uh, was the three the three nil away win to Sporting Kansas City on the weekend, and then they also um, really I I caught a little bit of the end of this uh, a comprehensively uh, shut down Toronto SC at home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, two two good results, and it's amazing, you know. We're talking about Atlanta needing to calm down because they're season champs and had a couple of bad results and everybody was calling for heads to roll. Um, and then in the span of two games, all of a sudden, everybody was like, oh, yeah, no, things are fine. It's fine. Nothing <laughs> to worry about. I mean, the the SKC result, I, I saw a bit of this one. I mean, it's just so depressing to watch a game of mostly reserves just you know, who maybe have 50 to 60 minutes of gas in the tank just get outplayed pretty much everywhere. I think, you know, for Vermees, he's still trying to set up a a well-organized team and give these players an opportunity, but there's just only so much you can do when you've got eight starters out through injury. Um, I think they might have one or two of them back in full training, so hopefully that situation will begin to uh, address itself a little bit, but... Um, Atlanta just really needed this one and credit to them for taking the opportunity to go, okay, this is a must win game for us. It should be an easy win, but let's go out and win it. And it felt very much like Atlanta took that seriously. They didn't take their foot off the gas and they played like where they were at heading into this one, which is a team that really desperately needed some points, but also needed to stick to their game plan and not try to overcomplicate things because I think that's what we've seen in a couple of other games is there's just so much pressure riding on things that silly mistakes happen um, and they're trying to pull off really complicated plays that maybe don't come off Mm -hmm. and then they get hit on the counter. This one against SKC to me was exactly what they needed to do, which was just be tidy and organized. More great stuff from Ezekiel Barco who gets a goal and assist. And, and has a couple other chances, and I feel like, and you talk about complicated plays versus simple, simple plays. I think this is something where Joseph Martinez has struggled this year in terms of trying to pull off things that are too complex. Yeah. Ezekiel Barco sets up 22 yards from goal and fires the hardest shot he can at the goal three or four times in this game. Yeah. <laughs> just like, I think, just like, Marco I think he wanted to score. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got the one, like, he's got it. I'm not saying he's only a one-play player, but it's like, it really felt like he identified, like, this is a thing I want to, this is something that I wanted, that that we're going to do. Uh, just people are going to feed to Barco, and Barco is going to slap him with the goal. Yeah. Uh, and it worked. Yeah, and, and again, like, that's the, that's a thing that a team needs to have in its uh, locker, right? Is when you look at Martinez's goal scoring record. I mean, of course he's got an insane conversion rate on them or did last year, but part of that is because Uh he's taking so many chances and it's the same with Ibrahimovic. So, um, you can say what you want about the, the final product, but I think where Atlanta had been struggling, well, we know where they'd been struggling is they weren't creating enough chances. So the one or two that Barco got and the one or two that Martinez got, and again, made too complicated it just wasn't enough. But if you can get each of them five or six opportunities in a game, one's going to go in. <laughs> Despite the fact that Toronto lost to Atlanta, they had a pretty good uh, result, a uh, 2 nothing away win at Orlando mm-hmm. um, that I saw. We'll talk a little bit later. I was in Halifax to watch the Wanderers' first game, and I saw it in the HFX Sports Bar, which had a towering monstrosity of an 8x8 <laughs> CRT or LCD TV. Uh, set up. Wow. Um, and it was there that I was able to see uh, a game that was really testy through the first half. Um, Osorio has like an amazing uh, individual play to to sort of walk the ball through two defenders and then hit a tight angle shot, shot into the top corner. Um, and then uh, a wild Akinola tries to shoot at close range. The rebound pops out and it goes to Chapman who is able to score a five hole hockey oh. goal. Oh, just megs him. I feel for yeah. Brian Rowe in this game because Brian Rowe, again, keeps Orlando in this one so late. Um, yeah. It's like 60 minutes until this game really gets going, as you said, a bit of a testy affair for much of it. And then Osorio busts things open. But um, uh, it's just 
there's nothing you can do about that too because and and credit to Jay Chapman because not only does he make him but he just blasts this thing. I mean, he side foots it, <laughs> but he makes absolutely no mistake. And how many times do you see a young player like that in that position overcomplicate it? You know, they lean back and they rocket it over the net or they side foot it, but it basic basically just pass it to the goalkeeper. And Chapman just opens his hips up and knows he needs to hit this thing with as much pace as he can, but also like do not screw this up. It, it needs to go straight and hard, low and fast. Um, another one of the uh, the contenders that had pretty comprehensive away wins on the weekend um, was New York City, who came in and uh, the the two the 2 nothing win in Montreal, uh, I don't know that there's a lot to recommend to it um, mm-hmm. because it doesn't really feel like Montreal gets a lot on them. Um I mean, this one, but New York City. This one for me just looked like Montreal just looked really leggy and tired, and yeah, and New York City basically was able to run around them. I mean, Montreal had a couple of chances, but really, this was mostly New York City, and they play so compactly away from home, probably because they're used to playing on such a small pitch. But there's just no space to operate in to really break through that back line of what becomes eight players at most times. So. Not really a surprising result. Um, Piet really looked pretty shaky in this game too, with some pretty questionable moves. Um, but it, it nice to see something happening for New York and other players getting on the score sheet. What you uh, um, what you see, I think, especially because of the leggy tiredness, is New York in both halves uh, hit the field in play really hard from the get-go and apply a lot of pressure from the get-go. Mm-hmm. And it is a strategy that works with goals uh, six minutes in the first half and five minutes in, or uh, four minutes in to the second half. Yeah, I think what we've seen from Montreal is they're a team that likes to kind of slowly build into games. I think a little bit like Philadelphia, um, that if you allow them time to get into the game, then they start to get very organized, pass the ball around easily, and start to build up um, these great tactical plays. But if you come out really physical and really hard and fast, they get a little bit scattered and you take the their game plan away from them. So I think this was great tactics from New York City. Another funeral for a, a friend in terms of head coaches. Uh, San Jose Earthquakes won SC Cincinnati 0, um, which was the last straw for Alan Koch. Yeah, I, I don't... I don't know. I really hadn't heard too much. I mean, I know that results were certainly not going their way again, but I was kind of surprised by this move. What did you think of it? Well, the, we, to talk about the move, the um, I, I think that a lot of people's minds initially went right to the fact that Koch is, is one of a few head coaches that have uh, criticized the quality of the players in his team. I think, I don't know if it was right after the uh, the. I don't know if it was right after this game, but I know that people were pointing to him, um, basically saying that you know he tried, he's trying to do what he can with the players that he has been given, um, and management didn't like that one bit. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, and it sounds like there was, you know, I think uh, Adi had made some comments as well after coming back from his uh, little stint away. And seeming like the maybe the the locker room had been lost a little bit, but I I don't know what to make of that though because so many of these players had been under Koch last year in the USL. I mean I know they had a lot of changeover in terms of players, but this was kind of his brainchild of getting them ready for MLS. So I, I was surprised that he wasn't able to kind of hold on to things. The theme of the week certainly seemed to be um, if you were going to say that. Uh, the players weren't right. <laughs> you uh, tended to not keep your job. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, it's true. If you and and I mean, this is one of the things. So I'm gonna I'm gonna lean on like probably it was it was warranted, but like every time that a coach get fired gets fired in MLS, you really need to ask to what extent was the management, the GM accountable or not accountable for what happened on the field mm-hmm. um, because I, I think too often um, in New England this is one thing people are talking about with New England um, that's not thought about or it's not given enough sort of credit 
um, you know, what that side of things said, uh, how that affected things. Now, there was a piece in The Athletic with these anonymous sourced posts. Sometimes these anonymous sourced post facto things are an, an opportunity for people to get their uh, frustrations out. Mm-hmm. So it's tough to know, but um, it kind of painted a a picture of a of sort of a, a a coach a coaching scenario a club scenario that didn't have a lot of organization in terms of like tactics on the coaching side hmm. where 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 um, maybe the organization was not as good as it could have been but the players were so good that everybody thought that the team was working out. Uh, examples being like you know formation changes uh soon before the beginning of the season mm. you know uh players saying sometimes they didn't know who was going to start until later than you would want that decision to be made right the line uh the line that uh i read the whole piece but the line in front of me was the you can only fake it for so long uh what was the line quote you can only o- we won a lot so nobody asked questions but you can only fake it for so long until you get found out hmm um, so that's what people are saying. It's tough because I feel like he had such a great reputation as a coach in Vancouver that that's not what I would have expected. But it's certainly what some people are saying um, that were around the team uh, in Cincinnati. Yeah, I mean, it seems a bit harsh as as well. Um, I thought that he he'd done such great things with the team um, and thought he did have them well organized. Admittedly, there were a lot of players playing out of position in the last few games, but... Um, it's kind of also hard where the same thing seems to be being said from multiple different sources that, uh, there really maybe with some decline in culture and a lot of unknowns and lack of organization seems to maybe suggest that there's some truth to that. So it Mm -hmm. will be interesting to see how they continue. I think that they have a lot of the right pieces. I think they've also over relied on players that, you know, had a little bit too much to prove to have three forwards. <laughs> you know, Fernando Addy, yes, he was able to prove himself or redeem himself, maybe we should say, at the USL level. Um, yeah. But I think everybody had that question mark of could he, again, be the force in MLS that he once promised to be? And with Maddox and Mane, uh, I think we have our answer to the question, which is just that, like, their ceiling was hit a while ago, they're always going to be a threat because of their pace, but neither one has the finishing ability. And I wouldn't be surprised to see both of them move on from this team and perhaps MLS again um, as early as this summer, because it's just not there for them. So an interesting experiment, but definitely time to, to relook at things and get some more organization there. Uh, again, with the window, it's hard to imagine what you accomplish by firing somebody on the day of, of the transfer window closing. But yeah. but they'll have they'll have a little bit of time to, to to think of something. I certainly think that they could put something together. I mean, they're only they're only six points out of the playoffs. Um, they got a lot of teams between them and Atlanta, but uh, but I I wouldn't say that the season is lost by any uh, stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. We now have our first three coaching fires of the season, and it's still May. Um, I posted, and I'm worried, guys. I don't want this to happen. I posted, I did post. You know, uh, Whitecaps are now the lowest team on the table to not have fired their coach. And everybody is like, "Oh my god, if they fired their coach at this point, this would be the final strength for me as a supporter." Yeah, uh, I don't want that to happen. I'm not saying that the Whitecaps should fire their coach. I'm just saying. That it's now uh, that it's now the hot seat. It is, but yeah, I uh, I don't think it's going to happen. Um, the uh, what else do we have here? Uh, we got a couple of games. Can we talk about Houston for a second? Let's do it. I mean, I know that we we did talk about them last time, but I want I want to talk about the Houston Dallas game, and we might just sort of uh, breeze over some others, so we have some time to wrap up the with the um, Canadian Premier League pieces. Love, uh, love this rivalry, uh, El Capitan, which it is for El Capitan, which is, uh, um, a replica cannon, uh, whichever team has the better results between the two at the end of the year, uh, gets to uh, keep the cannon over the course of the year. Love that. Love it. Um, 
I was really excited to see this game because these are two teams that have started the season brightly and continued. And, you know, short of a summer slump for either team, Mm -hmm. really do look like they've got things figured out. Not Mm -hmm. completely, but two teams that I think overall have been the most consistent. And the other thing, the reason why I also kind of like these two teams, even though they... I kind of hate them both because they've not always been good to the Whitecaps, <laughs> is that neither team are big spenders. And yeah. I love a good story, and we're seeing that all across the league this season, at least at this point, that uh, teams who spend in the right places are also being um, rewarded for things. So Houston, you know, for as much pace as they have, we've talked about that plenty, but for me... It's the quick little movements in tight spaces in this game. Um, two chances that, you know, I think a lot of other teams would have failed to put away. They're just able to break through, and there's really not too much any team can do to defend these. Um, Dallas positionally looks good on both of them. Um, Elise is so good. Uh, he's just, like... For me, both teams are playing open. Um, their strikers look like they're enjoying the playing. Uh, it's a little bit of a fortunate penalty call, <laughs> I think, because um, it's a, it spills a little easily on that one, but <laughs> you kind of have to give that. Um, but the second goal is just all skill. It's such a tight space. Uh, the reaction time has to be completely precise. Um and then Dallas hits them doing almost exactly the same thing. It's not Houston caught sleeping. Houston's defending well for much of the game, especially in the midfield. And then it's just this split-second decision. A tiny little window opens between the center backs, and they're able to get a goal back. Yep. Um, and that's just, I think, exciting for both teams right now to be in this position where, you know, they both teams have an identity. They're both playing really great soccer. At this point, I think you could argue neither team needs to make major improvements over the summer. Maybe if they if there's an uh, a good piece available, either team might want to make a move for it. But they certainly don't have to at this point. Both teams have depth. They've got a, both teams have great starting elevens. My question for you out of this game is: Joe Willis, our new most overlooked goalkeeper in MLS for Houston. You know, I think that's possible in in. The- Partially, that's just because you've you've seen some rotation in that position in the past year, so he doesn't have sort of the name recognition. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's great, and I think that what I was about to say about Houston is that Houston is a team that has all the all the pieces in place, um, but I think struggles with form sometimes. Yeah, uh, and and so it'll really be down to Willis to organize the the defense that's in front of him and, and make those uh, make those key saves. Um, in order to keep the um, keep the ball rolling, and uh, make sure that sort of this, if that part falters, I don't know how much you can rely on this amazing sort of uh, team that you have going on between Elise and Minotis. Mm-hmm. Um, Houston has not seemed like a team that is sort of like you know an LA Galaxy style, you know, score four, concede three team yeah um in but i think that that's willis will be key to making sure that what they have right now um they they keep that lightning in the bottle absolutely and you know barring injuries they've just put themselves in such a great spot where again you know trade for uh, not trade necessarily but spend for a little bit of depth in some of their positions maybe um midfield and attack but otherwise the team is there. I think you've got a playoff contention ready team, not necessarily the best in MLS, but right now you figure putting them into a, a playoff situation where it's knockout soccer. There's not too many teams that I don't confidently think they could like do really well against. No. Um, the uh, Minnesota Seattle was a, was a fine game. Yeah. Um, really, really great uh, second goal from Seattle. <laughs> the the Roldan goal? Yeah. Yeah. Or no, no, that was the first goal. Sorry, the second goal in the game. Yes. Just out of control. Yeah. That's, uh, man, I wish I could hit a ball like that. 
<laughs> that that thing has some speed on it. Great first goal from um, from Minnesota with a great header from Opara off of a uh, of a ball forward by Gregouche. Um and uh, this is one that just showed that both of them were great. Seattle had a little bit more fire. We move on to the next one. Yeah, I, I think it's a totally fine result for me. My big takeaway is um, Seattle, even when they don't play that well, is still really good. And Minnesota is deceptively good right now. And maybe all their results aren't exactly showing it, but I'm expecting Minnesota over the next few weeks, again, barring any disasters or <laughs> maybe coaching decisions. <laughs> uh, they did just get rid of uh, Calvo, one of their big players, but it hasn't seemed to have hurt them yet. Uh, I think Minnesota's going to be climbing up the table some more. They, they, they're just they're playing really great soccer right now. Um, Portland have uh, have now picked up their third win of the season. They they were in the same uh, doldrums which many teams found themselves to start the year, um, but a uh, a great away win uh, sees them maybe stepping back up towards form. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it was. Another good result for them. It certainly doesn't bode well for us Whitecaps fans <laughs> having to play Ooh. them tomorrow. Ah. But, um, yeah, I, I think a really good result. I'm really scratching my head at how RSL can have so many players in the penalty box and yet still not move on the ball. You know, when you've got <laughs> five, six, eight, seven, eight players all there and they're all watching the same thing happen. They kept themselves in it a little bit, but um, RSL's a team that I think, again, probably in terms of lineup, it's all there, but tactically, the reaction time is just a little bit slow there. You know, when everybody's in the right place, but nobody's moving, or people aren't closing down the space or challenging those those balls, I mean, you're going to get punished, and they have been so far, so... RSL to me is still that team that looks like, you know, on their night, they look incredible. But if you, um, if you find a way, it's, it's not too hard to beat them right now. They're really hovering around that line in, in an addition in the second window or a, you know, a, a mid season change of form can really, you know, change the game for them. But, uh, but they don't, whatever they have, whatever they're missing, they don't have it right now. Yeah. Um, we had uh, in in a team that's trying to find it, New York Red Bulls uh, have a strange, uh, it's a strange game against LA Galaxy. We've talked before about LA Galaxy feeling like the, the fortunate sons where the, the, the ball is always falling for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it almost looked like they were going to have that uh, happen for them once again. But, uh, but it was... New York, who took it to, uh, who took it home? Yeah, I'm. I mean, I just really needed a team to beat LA Galaxy this week. <laughs> um, it happened twice. And then it happened twice, exactly. I know. So, um, but it was a great team response from New York Red Bulls. Obviously, again, I just I don't know how they continue to concede so many goals with such a great back line and a great goalkeeper. Um, they need to get more organized and start to sort things out, but. They're just so good in this one to keep themselves in it and just punish LA. And part of the reason why, I i mean, my own feelings about LA Galaxy aside, the reason why I needed a team to beat LA Galaxy is it felt like there wasn't a ton of justice in the last few weeks where LA Galaxy is continuing to get results despite the fact that they've not been playing all that well. Now, in the last couple of weeks, I, I think you do see some more players stepping up and looking a little bit more like a team. However, their main tactic is still to just spray as many crosses as they can into the box and feed them to Zlatan and have that go their way or win penalties. But defensively, they're just a complete shambles. And I was glad that two teams were able to finally take advantage of that this week because Mm -hmm. LA Galaxy, for me, should not be sitting as high up in the table as they are. Um, Outside MLS, Mm -hmm. for anything from MLS, we get... uh, the uh, Galaxy lost to Columbus in the other uh, in the other midweek game. Yeah. Um, the uh, I got to see my first uh, Canadian Premier League game, and indeed the the first Halifax game in uh, Halifax Wanderers game in history. Yeah, you did. Uh, our home game. It was a it was a wonderful time. I went up with 
Um, my colleague Tom Bateman from the Times and Transcript. Um, we uh, did. Uh, we had like sort of this stadium is really wonderful and endearing, and also completely slapdash put together. But I <laughs> I really loved it because I mean like that was the, the, this is the atmosphere, right? Yeah. Um, it was. It's built on a rugby ground. Uh, we didn't have a great view for the first half because there was the the light standard is between the uh, the seats and the pitch, so we couldn't oh. see the goals. Well, that's uh, but it, but it was fun. It was still we saw we still saw some bits. Sure. Um, but we were sort of in the pocket in the grandstand next to the kitchen. Uh, privateers uh, do the the supporters group do such a great job. They were singing the whole time. And, and what I really appreciated was this lift uh, that came um, that came late on in the game where everybody in the – it seemed like there were a lot of people there. The, 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 the game was sold out. There were a lot of people there that were really keyed into it and just really excited and appreciated to see pro soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, and they loved it in the stands. Uh, or they loved it in the, in, in the kitchen. Everybody was sort of looking appreciative. Um, but they tried to do sort of a stand up for the wanderer style chant a couple times and, and nobody got it until this, this beautiful moment, Halifax, uh, scores first, concedes, and then comes back to win. And they're just holding and they're holding on the pressure from, from Forge. And all of a sudden, stand up for the wanderers. One or two people start to get it. And then more people stand up, at least in the section that I was in. And now everybody is up and together we're doing the same thing. It was a beautiful thing to witness. Really, really <laughs> I love appreciated it. it. And I was, the, the, I've, I've heard tell that there was pies for sale, pies in the stand. Is that true? A soccer stadium could, in North America and there were pies? You could just buy pies. Oh my God. I should have, I should have taken advantage of the pies, uh, but I just, I was so hungry when I got there because we drove up and we did a day trip. Um, I grabbed, I just grabbed the closest slice of pizza that I could find to But if I had a little <laughs> bit more presence of mind, I would have done it. Um, Really great accommodation from the, the folks there. Got to see the press conference. Um, and here is what Halifax Wanderers head coach Stephen Hart and Forge FC coach Bobby Smirnotis uh, had to say about the atmosphere at Wanderer Grounds. Playing in front of home, first time on the pitch. Um, because we don't, uh, we don't get on it, so it was the same for, for us. And, and um, it was fantastic. Nice to see all the blue, all the crowd. Uh, they were loud, you know, my throat is sore because of it, I couldn't get my message across, and, uh, but just, I'm, I'm, I'm happy for them, I'm happy for them, and uh, I'm happy for the, my players. Some uh, stadiums in this league kind of have the uh, the CFL quality, the, the larger setting, and some are more kind of in- intimate. Do you play, do you, uh, do you play, or do you have any take on what the different settings are like? Uh, for the team, and is it we're going back and forth? Uh, well, so far we've uh, we've played one game at home. We've, uh, we've seen this field. I've seen uh, Pacific's field just uh, from watching on video. I think every uh, venue is unique, and I think uh, that's uh, that's important always for the players to know and for us. Uh, you know, I thought the atmosphere here was was great. It was great for for the team. It was great for us. Every player wants to play in front of an atmosphere, whether you're home and away. So I thought it was uh, it was very good, and uh, yeah, the field. Yeah, maybe not in the best condition, but it's normal to be in the year. I think that's in most places in the world. Um, so we're not using that as any excuse. But I think uh, we're happy with the, with the experience here and the atmosphere that uh, Halifax had for the game. Um, just, it is, this is the more intimate version of, of the Canadian Premier League experience. Mm. Um, I really, I really enjoyed that. Yeah, and it like it's honestly got me excited. I mean, admittedly, there's just been so much MLS to cover <laughs> the Wednesday yeah. games that I've I've kind of been keeping my eye on it, but really feel like I've I've kind of missed out on the first matches. But the main draw for me is watching fans' reactions after the games and how much people are talking about the experience that they've had. Not just yourself, but there's so much buzz around the atmosphere of these games. And that, uh, you know, it's it's a, a good quality of soccer that's happening on the pitch, but also that it's actually it feels like a fun size of game to go to. And, you know, it's honestly kind of got the wheels turning a bit here of uh, do I can I get myself out to Langford this summer to watch a few games? 
it's a great time. I might do it more than than I was planning to, um, just because I was up. I was uh, I was up and down in yeah. the same day. It didn't take it didn't take much. Games, at least the Halifax games were too. Um, it was a really, really, uh, it was a really lovely time. And, and uh, I joked, I don't know, I was like, oh, it's been too long since I've been to a soccer game. I don't have anything to go to. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and then uh, my girlfriend was like, weren't you just at one in October? And I'm like, it's been so long. <laughs> it's, it's, that's too, it's too long. It's been too long. Uh, so I was really excited to be at that. And that's what this provides is that you don't have to. I still had to travel, but I it was within uh, it was in a car ride for me to get there, and it just there's no other way for me to get that mm-hmm. uh, right now. So it was a it was a, a, a really welcome thing. Beautiful. Um, well, you can find us on what is it called? Apple Podcasts. <laughs> I always forget <laughs> Where the can name. we find you online? You can find me online on Twitter and Instagram at That's So MLS. And you can find this podcast at That's So com. And wherever you find fine podcasts, where can we find you online? You can find me at Team Bates, www.team-bates.com. Um, and uh, I'm an editor at Heller Magazine, whataheller.com. Beauty. And until next time, you know... Just take the hand up and uh, don't slap back and don't get yourself sent off.